The following lecture is from a course called Psychology 3717, uh, Memory. It's for the winter term of 2019. By the way, how the hell did it ever get to be 2019? Anyway, hope you liked the class, and uh, see you next time. spent in our developmental psych class on cognitive development. Is that a big chunk of the time? Or? Really? No? Yes? Don't know? Okay, good. Uh, right. Typically, when you think of development, though, you think of kids. Right. I mean, and the two reasons people go into psychology, in my experience, the two reasons are this. I want to be a, a therapist, is reason one. And the other reason is I want to work with children. How many people here does that cover why they went into psychology? Because it covers me. Okay, quite a few of us, right? So that's, I wanted to work, I wanted to, to, to cure the sick, you know, to make people better, make people's lives better. Uh, then I found out that I have enough personal problems of my own, uh, and probably it would be a bad idea. Also, I'd likely just end up yelling at people. Uh, the other, like I said, the kids thing is very common. Um, very few people when they're in their final year of high school go, you know what I really want to do? I want to learn about ion channels. Like, it just, it's not a thing. Right? There's not that one. I really want to know a lot about animal cognition. Does it come up? Right? So we think of kids a lot when we think of development. And I think one of the reasons developmental psychology is one of the more popular courses on any campus of any university anywhere is that this is one of the reasons people go into psychology. But we also have a course, of course, a course, of course, I tried to stop saying that, but then I did it. Uh, about adolescence and later life, right? The second half of development, the depressing path, and you start having responsibilities and you, everything declines. Basically, that's, that's what being. <laughs> you gain weight, uh, you, get, you, you wake up in the morning and your arm hurts for no reason. That's when you know you're getting old, by the way. And you get up and go, why is my elbow sore? I didn't do anything. And you know, that's it. From then on, it's all a slow decline inevitable release that death will bring. Um, it's taken a dark turn. So your memory, though, changes throughout your life, right? So just like other psychological traits, it's funny, we don't tend to think of, when we think of traits, we think of personality, right? Because that's the trait approach to personality, so we think about nurturing or openness or introversion, extroversion. We don't tend to think of, of things, of cognitive things like as traits, which says something interesting, I'm not sure what. We never think of intelligence as a trait, and it probably is. We also don't think of things like your ability to remember things as a, as a trait. But like, it is just another psychological trait. It's another thing that you have some of, and it changes. Of course, some of those changes are positive, uh, but many of them aren't. So we're gonna talk about kids and adults today. Uh, and then older adults, of course, as well. So it's not just about children. The, the memory development in little kids is fascinating, and we will talk about that. Like I said, development doesn't always mean improvement. It just means change over time. 
Okay. So like I said, we're going to look at kids, a little bit of adolescence, look at later life. When we talk about autobiographical memory next time, we'll also talk about memory throughout the lifespan. So that's pretty cool. Um, at birth, you know and remember lots of things. You, there is certain standard equipment that comes in this model of airmen. Right? You certainly know your mother's voice because you've been hearing it while muffled through amniotic fluid. You're still hearing it. You probably know your father's voice too if your father was present at all because that would be the second most likely person you're going to hear. Okay? I know with my younger brother, he would talk about how, and I remember when his wife was pregnant with their first kid, he would, I remember him showing me this, that he could, he would sing and the kid would catch. It happened every single time. Because my, my brother's a musician, so he sang a lot, just around, you know, and that was a thing. Um, and I think fathers of first children tend to talk to bellies a lot. Second children, they just hide. <laughs> That's sort of the way it works. So you probably, you definitely know your mother's voice. How do we know that? Well, it's actually kind of neat. What you do is you, after the kid's born, and this work is cool. It's done literally after, just as the baby's, you know, right as after the baby's born. I have a friend who does some work like this, uh, where he does stuff on infants that are like 24 hours old, and. You play a recording of the mother's voice, and you play a recording of another woman's voice. And the baby spends more time, or has a different reaction to the mother's voice than it does to the, to the, to the distracted voice. So that different reaction um, can be just calming down, is usually the typical thing, less crying. So that's something you're already built with. You have thing is though, you have learned this in vivo, but you've learned it, right? And it persists. That's pretty neat. Babies actually look longer at face-like stimuli. So here's something we're already set up to do: is to look, is to pay more, pay attention to face-like stimuli. We do have a, a very specific um, facial recognition system. And babies tend to look more at pictures. You can show a baby to uh, stimuli. And show them this. Or you can show them this. Now, obviously, they're better drawn than that. At least we have with my finger. But on the left, we have two. Two dots on the top, one on the bottom. On the right, two dots on the bottom, one on top. Babies look longer at the one on the left when it looks more like a face. The cool thing about this, this is one of those great things that's cross-cultural. It happens all over the place. It doesn't matter what language you were hearing when you were in, uh, inside your mom. So you're all, we're also prepared to learn certain. So that's kind of neat.
also kind of neat that I can just draw on my side and not archive it in the future. All right. So there's certain stuff that we have built in. We're getting ready to look at faces, right? We are recognizing our mother's voice. There's all kinds of interesting things that moms can do too that I'll tell you about. Mothers can recognize the smell of their own baby's diapers versus other babies. Which is, I know it sounds like a very weird experiment. A friend of mine's done this kind of stuff and you just have samples of their babies poo and samples of other babies and they can, you can tell the difference. Newborn baby poo doesn't smell that bad anyway. It's when they start eating regular adult food that it's bad because then there's actual poops. And it's just caramelized sugar, which is basically what it is when they're younger. It's not that big a deal. It's kind of gross. Don't misunderstand me. So there's some, there's some special things going on, and that makes a lot of sense. You can recognize your own kid. I think evolutionary psych, I think that's on again next year. There's all kinds of weird results like that, but recognizing smells that we were doing. Now, one of the things that happened, there's something called infantile amnesia. Now, this isn't just being an infant. This is maybe going up to four or five years old. We tend to not be able to remember. That's a very poorly constructed sentence. I would underline that and write awkward if that was in a paper. Uh, we tend to not be able to remember things that happened to us before, like I said, four or five. So it's not just infantile, maybe childhood, you could call it that. Um, why? Why is it that we can't remember things when we were little, really little? Well, the first obvious answer is brain immaturity. Note that, by the way, there's, there's going to be all question marks here because no one really knows the answer to these questions. If you figure these out, you get a, a nice big grant. So is it because your brain is immature? It's certainly the case that your brain is, is growing when you're born. So it could be that you just don't have the gear yet to learn and remember things, okay? Oh, not, I shouldn't say things, lots of things. Episodic type memories especially. Right. There's a lack of linguistic development. Language is really important in how, in humans, uh, because we, we communicate that way, of course. And we communicate concepts a lot linguistically, right? So if I'm talking to a kid, and the kid says, and I, it's a baby, because when you talk to your baby, you do that. I don't know about you, anybody here as parents, but I talked to my kids like they were adults, because I'm very odd. Um, turned out my mom talked to, to me that way, too. I used to get really weird looks in the grocery store. Uh, I, I would talk to my kids, just like, I would say, like, oh, oh so uh, some nice things. I see you've chosen to wear a blue t-shirt today. Obviously, I chose it. Or is it I chose it? That's a nice blue shirt you're wearing. Kid doesn't know A, what I mean, and B, what blue or shirt are. So the kid's not going to remember wearing the blue shirt because there's a lack of linguistic development. It may remember, conceivably, the blue shirt. In fact, I can almost guarantee that they, kids recognize their own clothes because they recognize other stuff. Little kids I'm talking about here. But they don't know what I'm saying. When you talk to a two-month-old baby, they don't understand you. 
Because if they did and you said, could you please just stop crying, they'd stop. Because you plead with little babies sometimes. You do. You, you look at them and go, could you please just, could you give me 10 minutes, please? Just 10. That's all I have. And they just keep going. And you say, okay, what is it? Is it, could you just, could you give me some kind of sign? Could you just lift your right arm if, it, if, you, if you pissed yourself? Is it that? It's almost always the case that that's happened, but it, that's not always what they're complaining about. Some of this can be remembered, especially big events. So on Tuesday, sorry, Tuesday, Monday, we're going to talk about autobiographical memory. And sometimes you will remember very big things from when you were very young. Question here, how many people can remember an event from, from when they were five? Everybody's Okay, who can remember an event from there? Four. How about three? That's it? Nobody? Two. What about two? Yeah, that's usually cut off. What do you remember from when you were... Do you have one? You said three? I can't be sure because I'm not sure. Oh, no, no, you're not going to be sure. But what's, what's the event? I'm curious. That is outstanding. That is a great baby memory. So yeah, you've got to be between two and three there because yeah. you wouldn't be on a bottle at you know six. Yeah. Maybe. I remember. I think I remember my brother coming home from the hospital when he was born. I was two and a half. Like that's a really big event. Mm -hmm. But I've been told. I told you guys this. I've been told this story enough that I've conflated things I've been told with reality, right? Because I've been told that I that when, when my mom laid him down in front of me and she said, this is your brother Dan, or Danny, and I said, and I gave him a toy car and I said, play. And I apparently made a, a, filed an official complaint that he didn't, didn't play. Mom, he doesn't play. Get a, get a new one, he doesn't play. I don't remember, I mean, I remember saying that, but there's no way I actually remember saying, remembering saying that. What I do remember is weird things about how our apartment was configured in Kingston. Because my mom said, because I talked to her about this, and she said, it's amazing you remember that. I said, yeah, but I've been told the story. I said, however, couch, entrance to kitchen, uh, wall is blue, parquet floor. And she said, yes, those things are true. Like, kind of freaked out. But see, I'm remembering bizarre things, unimportant things. Yeah, please. My kid's little, like he's just six. Six, right? Yeah. Yeah, but um, we actually had a conversation this morning about the blue house he lived in in Ohio, and he was two when we moved there. Right. And we left. Have you seen? He, has he seen pictures of it? No, he hasn't. Okay, seen, that's interesting. Yeah, and he remembers like I think it's the big events, right? Like he moved a lot, and he remembers. Moves are pretty traumatic, so people yeah. tend to tend to remember them. Yeah. yeah, those are the kind of things. Like I remember. July 20th, 1969. I remember that because men landed on the moon. Uh, so I remember watching that on TV. But the big thing I remember is looking out at the, at the swimming pool at our, at our, at our um, apartment, and no one was outside, and it was really hot out because everyone was watching guys land on the moon. Mm -hmm. So watching the coverage of the, of the whole thing. So that I remember very clearly. I don't really remember. I've seen it so many times. Neil Armstrong stepping on, on the moon. But I, I remember that thing, and I remember both sets of grandparents from Montreal being there because they didn't have air conditioning, so they came to Kingston and stayed with us. I, that's what my mom says. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I remember weird things like I remember the color of the walls in the Churchill Plaza Library. And I, I moved away from here in 1967. Because we walked in there in 1996 with, with Maddie and I said, before we go in here, the walls are yellow. And when you walk in on the left, you can go downstairs. That's where story time is, if it's 1967. And we walked in and I went, oh God, that was weird. Because I, you know, I would just felt like I was dancing. So I remember some stuff, but not a lot. I remember my first day of school. Who remembers their first day of kindergarten? Come on. Anybody get lost in their first day of kindergarten? Yeah, you too? Good. So it wasn't just because I couldn't see where I was going. <laughs> Went to the bathroom, came back, and I just crying. It's like, I don't know what to do. And I do remember I was put in these, this, this horrible looking clothes. That, I remember being embarrassed at the clothes my mother had me wear. They were like plaid pants because it was 1970, and it's like, you're a hip guy. It's like I was freaking Don Draper. No. Anyway, so we tend to remember big events. It's hard to know if we remember them accurately, though, because they tend to be family lore. Right? So it's hard to know. There's weird snippets. I remember looking at four, the, with my mom, looking at the apartment we were going to move to in Kingston, and she was pregnant with my brother. I remember holding her hand and looking up, and I just remember, God, her huge, you know, like, so I remember that, because my mom was very, very, kind of tiny, and I was like, that's weird, and I'm holding her hand, I don't know why I remember that, so we have little snippets of memories, but they're really inconsequential things, I don't remember any of the stories from story time at the Churchill Plaza Library, I remember that the wall was yellow, completely unimportant detail, right, because we don't know how to learn yet. That said, babies, this now down, babies can learn a lot of things and remember them. You can do sort of a habituation task. What you do is you show a, a kid, so a little baby, a couple of stimuli. Okay? Uh, you, there's a lot of ways you can do this. Uh, one of the ways is just show them like an arrow pointing up or an arrow pointing down because it's easy to make something that's exactly the same except it goes the other way. They will spend more time looking at So if we show them, use more drawing, you train them, as we would say, with that. You can show them this blue arrow pointing up. Then you have them, you show them again. This is like a six-month-old. But this has been work that's been done. As soon as a kid can turn his head or her head or their gaze, which is a couple of months old, they can, you can see where they're looking. So what if we tried this? So we, we say, well, look at this one. They look at that longer. The cool thing you can do, what about that? What about a red arrow pointing down? They look at that even longer. What about a red arrow pointing up? Look at that a little bit less. They've actually learned that it's blue arrow pointing up. Right? Same way we test uh, animal cognition of animals have learned abstract concepts. Except these aren't pigeons pecking at keys. These are little babies looking at stimuli. So they've learned stuff and it holds till the next day. So that's memory. There are instrumental approaches. So instrumental conditioning. Uh, this is actually kind of neat. And what you do here 
is you have a baby, maybe six months old, lying in a crib, and you put, you attach around their wrist or around their foot um, a little, like a string, and when they pull, it makes a toy appear that they like. Or it makes a, a mobile go around. And they learn very quickly that if I move my foot, I hear doo 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 doo, or whatever. All that crap that you're, most of you will eventually hear and hate. It's cute for a time, and then it's like, oh god, you want me to wind that up again? I bet now you can just do it with an app. It's probably way better. So it's like instrumental learning, right? So cool things that can happen is that. You can see that the recognition of, of, of new stimuli improves with age. Doesn't should be surprises. There are interference effects. You can teach them one thing, that one movement does one thing, and then require some other movement, and they get confused. Interference, just like we show with lists of words. The spacing effect happens. Spacing effect just is that if you do bouts of training, and then a, a pause, and then bouts of, just like how you should study, right? You shouldn't study all at once. You study in little small bouts. You learn more quickly, and you remember for a longer period of time. That happens here. Um, if you cue something, so if you give them a retrieval cue, what's the retrieval cue here? Well, if you're doing a thing with a little string around the leg, just move their leg. Not all the way to make the thing happen. Then they'll do it. These are all effects that happen, these three here, happen with all kinds of learning. So this is happening in like under six-month-old babies. So the idea that babies don't remember anything is not true. It's just silly to say they don't remember stuff. They, they certainly do. Okay. Now we're getting to kids that are a little older. We're talking three-and-a-half-year-olds, three-year-olds. Can they learn by imitation? Probably the biggest difference between us and all other animals is we are clearly learned by imitation. Let's say other animals don't. It's ambiguous. Those of you who took animal cognition with me know about this. About this that it's, it's ambiguous at best that, that non-humans can learn by imitation. We certainly do. I don't watch Top Chef for the drama. I watch it to learn how to cook new cool things. Okay, and a bit of the drama. So you take older kids, you teach them a task. It can be how to build something out of some Legos. That's a pretty common one. Uh, what else have I seen used? Uh, teaching kids how to use, how to make a little um, recipe of something, like a little, make, make a cake. A, a very simple cake, obviously, but make a cake. It's pretty easy to do. You have pre-measured stuff out, of course, you know, because the kids will have, there's a great stuff thing I read the other day uh, preparing for today's class about teaching kids, about asking kids about how they learn, uh, about how to make cookies. And you ask a two-year-old how to make cookies, and he says, you put them in the oven, and you have cookies. And you ask a two-and-a-half-year-old, and he says, you put in, this is the same kid, by the way, over, over time. Uh, Mom puts chocolate chips in them. 
We put at least, there's, there's three eggs. <coughs> and then there's cookies. And then at about three, the kid now has this really bizarre recipe in his head. There's three eggs, four pounds of butter. It's like, wow, that's a hell of a cookie you're making. I'm like, you put that in the oven, cookies. And then later it's like, you need some flour, some eggs, some butter, and chocolate chips, and you have cookies. And that's the kid's about three and a half. And that, that's closer to reality, at least. Four pounds of butter is the best we're making. That's a lot of butter. So building something is it? So you're, you can build a cake, you can build a little tower, whatever. And we just test retention. And little kids, this, we're here we're talking three-year-olds, basically. Three, that, that's the lower end of this. And again, if you've been around little kids, you actually can do this. You can teach them how to build something, and they can do it. And you don't have to actually do the hand movements for them or anything like that. You can actually just sit down and say, you do this, you do this, you do this. And they can learn uh, things in order. And they go from simple to complex. Paths. And the regular effects show up. What I mean by that is, you know, interference, uh, forgetting with a nice decay function for the forgetting, all that kind of stuff. And again, this shouldn't surprise us. But it does because we have this notion that children are stupid. I mean, right? Homer Simpson, right? If kids are dumb. If they weren't dumb, we'd call them adults. <laughs> so because they don't think like we do, we think kids are stupid little adults. And you've got to realize that actually what kids are are kids, and they haven't developed certain abilities yet, right? But they're learning and memory. The learning and memory phenomena that show up in, in, in young kids will be the same rules the ones do for us. Interference, spacing, so proactive, retroactive interference, uh, decay over time, uh, you can cue them, all these kind of things. It's very common. Okay. Questions? All right, so this, basically here what we're talking about is how kids are becoming more like adults in some respects. One of my favorite things, and a lot of you guys know this, is that I, I mean, I study animal cognition as a, I think I told you this, my, my major in graduate school was animal cognition, and my minor was human memory. My other minor was comparative psychology. You can make up your own fields. So people who study animal cognition actually know who study infant and toddler cognition have a lot in common. We're talking, we are, we, we are trying to test memory in something that you can't reliably speak to. It, it doesn't understand things the same way you do. A lot of times they can't directly tell you what, what they were remembering. Right? So you have to do something that's... It's hard to use a list of, of words or something like that. Kids get distracted easily. So there's a lot of work on memory for spatial locations uh, in both non-humans and in humans. And this all comes out of work that was done by Ken Ching with rats. So you already heard me talk about this work before. So the Ching stuff, this is rats. Okay? So this is pretty simple. There's a box. It's about 
half the size of one of these tables. Yeah, exactly. And it's got raised corner, raised ends. And there's uh, sawdust in it. Okay. And then there, in one corner, is a cocoa pot. Okay. And rats love sugar, and rats love chocolate, and no better place to find that than child's breakfast cereal. Um, they also weren't using smell to find these things. People always think that every other animal in the universe has this amazing sense of smell. It doesn't work that way. They're doing this visually. So what they did, they learned over time that, let's say, if we look at the example here, that this corner is where the cocoa pods are buried. Okay? But note where they make mistakes, too, is the opposite corner. Okay? They make mistakes. But it's what we call rotation errors. Because it's still, it's geometrically correct, right? It's like short left, long right. Short left, long right. They don't make what we call reflection errors, or very few. Okay? And one of the things what Ken Jay did is he identified the features here of the wall and the corners. So making a different pattern. Even used peppermint oil once to, um, which is pretty strong stuff, but to mark one of the corners, and it didn't, the rats didn't pay attention to that. They paid attention to the shape of the box. So what the rats are doing is they're representing the geometry of the box, okay? That's very cool stuff because it's early days. This is 86, a long time ago. But at the time, no one was looking at what the form of a representation in a non-human was for the spatial locations, and Ken determined that it was it was geometry, not anything else. Okay, you understand this because you understand this. Then the next experiment's easy to understand. All right. So Herbert Spelke, years later, tried the Chang task with toddlers and adults. So what they do is they take adults or toddlers and they take them into a room, and the room is rectangular and it's white. All the walls are white. And they tell the adults, the goal's over there. They just point at it. For the, for the toddlers, they actually put a um, teddy bear in the corner. And, say, and then what you do with the adults is you spin them. You blindfold them, and you spin them right round, right round, like a record baby, round, round, round. Okay? Um, for about 30 seconds. And they get really disoriented. And then you take the blindfold off and say, where was the goal? With the kids, literally, these are three-and-a-half-year-olds. The way you disorient them is you talk to them for 30 seconds. A research assistant removes the teddy bear surreptitiously, and as you talk to the kid, what did you have for breakfast today? And the kid goes on for a while and goes, okay, cool, that's great. Where was the teddy bear? And they look for it, and you take a look at where they looked, okay? So, and then you can also paint one of the walls blue, they did. What happens with the adults when they make these reflection errors, just like in Ken's thing with rats, so do the toddlers. The adults use the cue. What would you do? Right? Think about this. This becomes a trivially easy task. If I paint one wall blue, you're going to go, no, it's right there. It's the right side of the blue wall. Toddlers? No clue. They don't pay attention to this. What they pay attention to is the shape of the room they're in. So I think one of the, the reason I want to bring this up is not only because I just think it's cool and it's because it's a research area of mine, but also because it shows that the sort of kinship almost between people studying little kids 
and people studying non-human animals because we're, we're dealing with, they're similar types of problems. So toddlers aren't, are not unlike rats in the way they behave in this task. That was not meant to be a joke, but every time I present that slide, I get a laugh, especially at a conference, I get all kinds of laughs. It's like, it's, it's, it's true, I'm just saying the results. I like toddlers, I like them just fine. So adults follow the cue. Uh, and this is some stuff that, other, other stuff I've done, and uh, a friend of mine did work like this, uh, and found the same thing with adults. So that's kids. Questions so far? Because this is sort of a break between the kids stuff and the grown-up stuff. Okay. You kind of peak about your age, and then you're screwed. Uh, once you're in your 70s, which none of us are, your brain's actually starting to shrink. So is the rest of you. So I guess it's hunched over. So you're actually getting smaller. And your brain's getting smaller. There's neuronal death, right? So this is something that's perhaps a reason for some of these results I'm going to talk about. There's probably a general cognitive slowing. So there are some semantic memory problems in older adults. It's not that the stuff isn't there. It's, it's probably the case that it's, there's a lot more things that interfere. Okay? Um, and that the system is just a little slower than it used to be. The rest of you is a little slower, too. So it shouldn't be surprising that your cognitive systems are slower. There's things that you used to be able to do that when you're 70, you just can't do them as quickly or at all anymore. Right? Episodic memory declines in a really weird way. It declines in that... And this is, I'm not talking about people that have Alzheimer's or dementia here. I'm talking about the average, just, you know, your grandparents. Okay? Episodic memory declines in a strange way. It declines in that it's hard to discriminate between a time I did X and I talk, what time did I do X? Well, I've done X so many times in my life, I don't know when I did it. It's, it's interference. However, I know lots about X. Semantic memory, there are some problems with it, but I can't discriminate between his time and that time that I've made paella. I don't know why I picked that. Maybe I'm hungry. Uh, because I've made paella a lot, because I'm from Spain. I, I'm just now, real quite, quite a fancy here. I'm now a 73 year old Spanish woman. Whereas when you're younger, it's easier to remember those kinds. Because you had, you, there's not as much stuff interfering there. It's like, you know, don't add a make paella. This could be really due to encoding stuff. So we talk about episodic memory, what do we typically use? We typically use lists of words. So 
On average. Yes, I know your grandmother remembers everything. That's great. Good for her. But on average, that's not what happens. Okay, so for the most part, what happens is older people, the older you get, the poorer you get at encoding things. And like I said, next time we talk about autobiographical memory, you'll find out that basically you're at right the peak of your ability to remember things. And some of you look shocked because your memories are thank you. Oh my god, I'm screwed. Okay, so let's talk, and this is like I said, I added some new stuff. So this is today, I threw this in, this morning. Okay, so this is 1979. This is a classic experiment. I thought I may as well discuss this in a little more detail. So we've got three groups. Uh, a young group, people roughly your age, middle age group, roughly my age, and an old group, roughly my mom's age. And they're learning, my mom's 70, she should be 73, on Monday. Happy birthday. Just remember what I got, what we, me and Dan and Stephanie got you for <coughs> your birthday. Sometimes she listens, so I can't say what she listens. It's pretty cool, though. Anyway. So someone my mom's age, all these different groups, learning lists of 20 words. This is a standard approach, right? So they're either given words, like truck, that's one of the words, or they're given sentences with a word underlined. Talk about elaboration the other day, the regenerate effect, that kind of thing. This is kind of get, putting things in context so you can represent it a little more easily. <coughs> the farmer drove the truck, trucks underlined. And then there's free recall. Yeah, I'm sorry, I made a mistake here. So this is what they're presented. The farmer drove the truck, underlined. And then they're told, I'm going to ask you, like people are told this, I'm going to ask, now, can you remember the words that were underlined? And people do it. That's free recall. Or they're given cube recall, which is the farmer drove the blank. Okay. So they're not given the list on its own. They're just given a sentence with underlined words? Yes. And then free recall is just free recall. So we can take a look at the results here. Young people, so again, roughly your age. Free recall, 50%. That's about what I would expect. People my age, about 35%. Older people, so on average 65 years old, 25%. The cute recall uh, results are kind of cool because what happens here is both the young and the middle-aged people go up a good chunk, about the same percentage too. Right, so that's 50 to 70, that's two-fifths. Uh, 50 to 35, 10, 7, that's about the same. Percentage-wise, they're going up that much. So there's still an advantage to, to, to the younger people, right? But when you give any of the groups, or the first two groups, the, the millennials and then the Gen Xers, actually, these would have been, wouldn't have been that, actually. These would have been the Gen Xers, because it's 1979. Not even. Oh, they're all baby boomers. They're all, these are all people that have spent all our money on giving me the bill. 
What happens to the old people? <laughs> it doesn't help. Wow. That's a little mind-boggling, isn't it? I'm like really surprised at these results. I'm really surprised. Like I, I would I want to try this with my mom. Now, the thing is, mom is pretty intellectually active, right? She reads a lot. She constantly listens to the news. She's very well informed, that kind of thing. So I think, I doubt, I, I think in fact, on average, my mom would score a lot more like I would here. I like to think I'd score more like you guys because I am, my mom's like a steel trap. <laughs> a really rusty steel trap. You do notice the cognitive slowing as you get older. Like there's things like, I know I know things, but I used to be able to go, oh, that, bang. Now I have to go, uh, a lot more. It's still in there, it just takes longer to get at. So this is clearly an encoding issue, isn't it? Don't you think? I mean, it looks to me like this is an encoding issue. Because I give them the damned cue. And if it doesn't help, that means they didn't encode it that way. Or they don't understand this. Could it be they don't understand the sentence? I don't think so. Questions about that experiment? It's kind of a classic. Do you think our old people might do slightly better now with better health care? That's a good question. Because those, those old people were born in 1914. So. Yeah. <coughs> it's true. <laughs> so we've got 1914. So this group fought in World War II. Oh, well. This group was in Vietnam. And this group is like going, we're not going, man. So uh, actually, it's a little bit past that. This group is like vaguely remembering Nixon. It's an interesting question. We should, somebody should try that again. Yeah. Healthcare's gotten a lot better. a lot better. People live a lot longer, too, yeah. right? The life expectancy of someone who's born in 1914 probably is about 70. Life expectancy of someone born, uh, let's see, in 1946, like my mom, it's way more than that now. It's, it's, it's into the 80s now for a woman in Canada, in Canada. right? So They're almost dead at that point. Yeah. We've got no, exactly. We've got people here that are, yeah, that are, this is the cream of the crop. <laughs> well, they also, no, they got through the war, so maybe there's, I can turn anything into something in World War II. That's the <laughs> superpower I have. Um, take History of Psych next year. It's mostly just me talking about airplanes and it actually isn't, though they do come up. So does the franco prussian War. Um, that's an interesting question. I'd like somebody to try that again. There's an honors thesis in there somewhere. The, the thing is, though, how do we compare it? We've got these old data. We can use her old, experiment, her old uh, Simon's um, materials. What do you need? I think healthcare probably does make a difference. I think people are active longer, mentally active, longer than they used to be. Yeah. Right? There's so more, yeah. there's also that. Um, this would be an interesting try again. Now, it's not quite as clear, however, as it seems. So this is stuff a couple of years later that Don Cherry did this work with Ron McClain. Don Cherry, I don't think Don Cherry's going to do you. Um, <laughs> Remember, 
here because people read the Simon thing and said yeah that's pretty clear and Cherry and Al were like wait a sec I think what might be happening here is are people using older people are they using the phrase as something that's, that, that is actually explanatory so here's an example you could have so again lists of words are presented in sentences underlined word same kind of procedure but the difference here is that the word either is explained by the rest of the sentence, explanatory, or is not. So one of their, let's see if I can remember this, one of their uh, tasks, sorry, one of their stimuli, target words, is grimaced. Now, one of them says, the uh, man was reaching for the, Grimacing man, or the grip, the, I gotta say grimace, so I don't use the same word. The man grimaced as he reached for the juice. That makes, there's no reason to grimace while you're getting the juice. However, the man grimaced as he put, as he uh, baited the, baited the uh, mousetrap with cheese. You can see why, right? So that's explanatory. It explains why. So look what happens. Young people, base words, 22%, 21%. Just the words, not, so they're doing free recall. When we put, when we give them the cue, they go up to 47. Okay? When it's non-explanatory, when it's explanatory, they get up to 76%, which sounds a lot like the results from science. There is a small effect here. Well, it's double, more than double, three times, for non-explanatory. But look what happens when it's explanatory. It goes up sixfold for the older people. So what the older people are doing here is perhaps they're just encoding efficiently. Maybe they've learned over time to pay attention to what makes sense. It's not saying that old people are doing just as well as young people, because that clearly doesn't show this. What it's showing is it's more, uh, it's more than just not encoding something. It's what they're encoding. And does it make sense to encode certain things, and how do you encode them? Okay. Kind of cool. Clever experiment. Been replicated a bunch of times. Okay. Questions on that? I want to talk about that Simon stuff because I, that's pretty cool. So one of the things people talk about generally is that older people are more susceptible to interference. <coughs> it's called the inhibition deficit hypothesis. You have older people, if, if you get them to read a passage, it takes them longer to read a passage than it does a younger person. When I say older here again, I'm talking senior citizens, I'm talking like post-65s. They're more easily distracted using distractor tasks. So again, this is easy to measure. You have them study a list of words, and then 
you distract them with, or you don't distract them, and you see what, what difference that has. The distractor task usually is a, a mental math test, or it's ge geography. They're just easy ones to do. The effect is much bigger in older people than it is in younger people. So one of the things that people have found over the years is that there is sustained activation of irrelevant information. When you're younger, you're better at picking out what's important. When you're older, that's hard. So how do you test this? Give them a, give them a, 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 a paragraph to read or a story to read, and you're going to ask them very basic questions about the story. You can put irrelevant information in the story. Let's say I told a story about, oh, I don't know, how about, you know, just a day in the life kind of story. Let's not make it dramatic or anything. What's something that's irrelevant? What color someone's shirt is is completely and utterly irrelevant. What color the walls are, like babies. Older people are more likely to remember those things than younger people, which is probably interfering with their ability to remember important things about the story. So it's probably the, the, the general, so it's probably general cognitive slowing hurts older people in, in memory tasks, tasks and a problem with inhibition. So it's, it's probably just general cognitive slowing that the system's getting slower. But also the pro there's a problem with inhibition. They can't help but encode things that are irrelevant. It's just an interference issue. It's hard to separate these things out, though. Is it aging, all this, or is it how you're now living your life, right? Because when you're in school or when you're working, oftentimes there's a lot of things going on around you and you have to be able to deal with not only people, I mean, I think about at work, I have to deal with, while I'm sitting there in my office doing things, there's people walking up and down the aisles, Paul's yelling ridiculous things at me, and I have to be able to deal with all that stuff. And it's the same thing with you guys, right? You're sitting in class, you're writing stuff down, you're looking at the slides. You're, I don't know, doing all kinds of things. Perhaps checking your social media feeds, whatever you're doing. And you're still able to filter out the important stuff. You get the important stuff and filter out, you know, separate the wheat from the chaff and various other metaphors. When you get older, you don't have, and you're not working anymore. You don't have to do that so much anymore. So maybe it's just a practice effect, and maybe it's like, it's like, I don't feel anymore, so I don't do it. Right, so it, there's a possible issue there. And again, I'd be interested to see what happened now with a 65-year-old sample because people don't retire at 65 anymore. Right? People retire at like 70 now because we live longer. So you go, I don't have enough money saved up. I'm going to another five, work another five years before I can you know, travel the world like that's ever going to happen. And I'm in the good pension plan. Um, I was the last person to get in the good one. 
So here's a summary of what happens between old and young people, uh, older and younger people, what happens. What do we have? Memory declines. Conventional laboratory tasks, we talked about lists of words. Free recall, acute recall, recognition, uh, sentence and prose memory, digit span, letter span, and word span. So it's all just going downhill here. Neuropsychological tasks, medicine labels, that's not good. Because old people take medicine. Names and faces for people, songs on TV programs they've watched, layouts of museums they've visited, buildings located in familiar streets, etc. Fewer flashbulb memories. This is fascinating. This is Dan Schachter's found this, as you can see there from the reference. The flashbulb memory, which again is something we'll talk about on Tuesday or Monday, I think Monday, I think it's Tuesday, uh, those are those shared cultural experience memories, you know, where were you in Canada was shot, where were you when the goal was scored, where were you when the, when the Twin Towers went down, whatever. You have fewer of those. Kind of weird. Appearance of common objects such as coins. This is, these are neat results because what you do is you have old, older and younger people and you say, is this, a, a, is this what a, a Canadian quarter looks like? And you can do ones that are fake and ones that are real. The younger you are, the better you are at discriminating those. And you might say, wait, but things change. What's on the front and the back of a freaking quarters hasn't changed Since King George VI died. <laughs> no, that's not true. The, the, the Queen portrait changed in like 1993. That's, that's the last time something changed. That's so funny. It's the portrait of the Queen. But she looks old now and she looks younger. And then there's one in 1964 when she looks really young. Yeah. Yeah, it's, like, it's like on the crown, she's played by the younger woman, now she's played by the younger woman. New skills like word processing, Gus Craig's work. This is a problem, too, because of the, the, the preponderance of technology. Learning things like simple things that are simple to you and I are trivial. Right? And you're not, you, you also have learned how to learn new tasks, like, for example, using a computer. You're used to this. If, I, if tomorrow, I don't know, uh, if there was a big change in Microsoft Word, what, 45 minutes to get used to it and find out where all your menu things were and you'd be fine. My dad used to get mad when the icons were removed on his desktop. The hell have you done to my computer? I, nothing. It's a mess. I cleaned them up. But don't touch my goddamn computer, David. Okay, Dad. Just wait until ne next time you ask me how to print an email. Um, what else do we have here? Contextual information. This is kind of what we were talking about before. So we got things like context surrounding what's significant and insignificant, learning for whether information was uh, heard or seen. That's interesting. Upper lowercase letters. So was it was it presented as a capital A or a small A? Did you learn the item recently or a long time ago? Did you know before the experiment? That kind of thing. That's that what I was talking about with the episodic and semantic thing. Like, did I already know that or not? I've, I've learned so many things in my life. Space, time, rehearsal speed is, goes down. Um, data scanning memory and search tasks. So it's you know how long does it take you to? And we talked about the speed, the 
serial versus parallel search, you can take and see how look and see how long it takes someone to learn something, uh, to, to sort of define something, to say yes or no, something was in the list. It takes longer with older people. Okay, there are some things that happily there are no differences. Implicit memory, so word fragment completion, things like that, no difference. So you got to look forward to this. When you're really old and the climate has warmed up to about three degrees and I'm dead, you'll still be able to do word fragment completion just as well as right now. So you got that going for you. <laughs> the climate warms up three degrees by the time you get how are we ever screwed? Uh, well, you, not we, I'll be dead. Meta memory. This is a cool thing because that's memory uh, knowing what you know. So metacognition, meta memory is do you know this? And you say yes or no. That doesn't change. Maintenance of previously acquired skills. These are skills that you acquired when you were younger. So can you still, I don't know, operate a certain kind of machinery or whatever. Now there's other things that are thrown in there, like you know how to drive, but everything's slower, your reaction time's slower, so that's kind of an issue. But that's not about not knowing how to drive. It's not like old people get into cars and go, I don't know, which, which, which lever do I put? That's old people talk. Which, which yeah. thing do I do? Where's the doohickey? Because old people say doohickey a lot, don't they? I don't know. I'm almost an old person now, it's weird. I still think the same as I did when I was 12. Slower. Ooh, age advantages. Look at the tiny little part here. Longer lasting sensory memory. Oh boy. I don't think that's that big a deal. Vocabulary scores go up. That shouldn't surprise us. You've lived longer, you've heard more words. That's and you learn them. That's the cool thing here, unlike a lot of these other things where it's like you just can't learn them as quickly. And Remote memories from childhood. So while when you're younger, it may be hard to remember things from you when you were six, when you're older, it becomes a little easier. There is an issue here. Who can tell me what they think the issue is here? Methodologically. <laughs> that's the problem. Um, that's always the issue with, with autobiographical stuff, again, which we'll talk about on Monday. Got it right that time. Um, but, so, you, you know, they may be making something up. They don't, I'm not saying they do it on purpose, right? I'm saying it just, it just sort of confabulation happens uh, as people's memory, memories get poorer, confabulation is much more common. So there is an issue there. What's our final one here? Uh, anticipation in expert typists, athletes, and professionals. In other words, people get better at knowing, at, they, they've, they've seen all the patterns. So they know what's going to happen next. Right? And this is why you'll often see, for example, athletes will become coaches. They can't play anymore, but they know the way the game, whatever that game is, is played. And I realize old athletes are 40. <laughs> right? But scouts and general managers often are quite a bit older, and they're still very good at those jobs, oftentimes better than younger people. So that's kind of cool. At least there's a couple things to look forward to, rather than all these other things where things just get slower. Okay. 
Some conclusions about development. Uh, the development that happens in kids, first of all, and I think when you sit back and think about this, is mind-boggling. Baby comes out. Baby can't speak. Baby can't walk. Baby can't do anything. Can't remember, you know, remember something, sure. Can learn something, sure. By the time a kid's about six, you can actually have a proper conversation with a kid. If you can have a boring conversation with a three-year-old, <laughs> even when it's your own kid, they become very boring conversations. But you have a conversation. By the time, by the time you get six, you can almost have an adult conversation. It's surprising. So that development's pretty amazing. I think it's functionally sensible that we don't have a lot of memories from pre-verbal times. So what I'm saying, functionally sensible meaning this. What would it accomplish for us, and then why would it be selected for evolutionarily? For us to be able to remember our birth. Like episodically. Or even significantly. It would be frightening and horrible. Would you want to remember even being a three-month-old? And all these giants are picking you up. And also, you're remembering that, oh, right, I don't know how to use a toilet. <laughs> Do you want to remember that? No. That would be awful. It's good that we don't remember these things. It's probably sensible we don't remember things from before we're verbal. Because most of those memories would be likely disturbing to us. Like really weird, there's all kinds of things. Think about things you do as a baby, and then think about them now. You know abstractly you did them. That's all you really want to know, though. There's decline, but it's important that the decline can be lessened with coping skills. What do I mean by this? OK, so it's tougher to remember certain things, but we now have memory aids we can use to carry computers in our pockets. That's a classic. I mean, really, what, what, what carrying a phone is, what carrying a computer like this is, is it allows us to remember things externally. So you don't, you think to yourself, I gotta remember that, you can just tell your phone to set an appointment for you, to set an alarm for you. The biggest thing is training people to do it, right? And that's why these sort of voice assistants, things like that are, are gonna be really useful, I think, for older people and for people with other sort of memory impairments because your memory can be externalized. Right? It used to be you would teach people coping skills like don't forget to write things down all the time. So people as they got older, uh, especially if they're starting to have memory problems or if they have early stages of Alzheimer's or, or, or dementia, we're, we're taught, because you can teach somebody this pretty easily, and they're still aware they have this, every time you turn the stove on, write it down. Look at your, and look at your notebook every 10 minutes. And people would do that, and they'd realize, oh, I put some water on to make tea. I better go. It's, I'm sure it's boiling by now. Right? But now you can do it with something that you carry in your pocket. And there are mobile phones that have been developed specifically for older people. So the uh, interface is much bigger, et cetera. And rec voice recording and stuff like that is pretty easy to do. But like I said, now with even just a standard you know, iPhone or Android phone, you can do, you can talk to a thing and have it remember things. You can have a, a smart speaker system in your house and it just, and you can tell it things and they, it will remind you of stuff. 
So I think that the technology is really going to help people cope as they get older.
thanks for listening to the lecture. Um, all of the audio is available, of course, on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using. Just search for da uh, Dr. Dave Broadbeck's uh, Psychology Lectures in Algoma University, which is the most ungainly title ever. Uh, these are released under a sh uh, uh, Creative Commons copyright share like 3.0 Canada. Uh, you can't use these for commercial purposes. Um, you feel free to share them uh, and feel free to mash them up any way you want. But if you do that, that means I get to do the same thing with your stuff. Sort of like the GNU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me, and I'll find uh, I'll find out. Um, often I put links uh, actually in the uh, if you want to call them show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks everybody. We'll see you next time.